Alrighty. Well, hello once again, everyone, and thank you for praying the rosary with me. I apologize for scrambling about, and uh, I hope that wasn't too distracting from your prayer. I um, just had to get the right vestments uh, for adoration, benediction, and everything put into place. So welcome to our weekly uh, mini-retreat for the Guard of Honor of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And for those who are, are listening to this recording, uh, today we will be continuing uh, from commenting on the, the writings of St. Claude de Colombier. Uh, today is from uh, letter number 73, written in London, England in 1678. It's on page 28 of uh, the book, The Spiritual Direction of St. Claude de Colombier, uh, and, um, Ignatius, from Ignatius Press. Well, first, let's begin with a quick prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Loving Father in heaven, we give you thanks and praise, so much praise and so much gratitude for this beautiful day that you've given us, for the fact that you've created us, and in spite of ourselves, you've created us in your image and likeness. You've brought us to the grace of baptism and incorporation into the mystical body of Jesus Christ, your Son, and in spite of our hard-headedness and our rebelliousness, our hardness of heart, you continue to call us back to your Son. Um, your, your patience is definitely not human. So we thank you for that, Father. And we ask you to help us to be just a little bit more like you by imitating the virtues of the heart of your Son, Jesus Christ. We ask for your blessings upon this gathering today and your blessings upon everyone who's listening to this recording. Father, help us, help us to appreciate and to cherish the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, and his gift to us of his most sacred and most pure heart, that we may cling to it, that we may make it our compass, our guide, we may make it our shield and our sword, that we may make it our reason for living. Father, we thank you for all these things, and we bless you. We ask all these things, as always, through Christ our Lord. All right, so letter 73, London, 1678. Just a little preface. We're in the section called Unholy Communion, and it's just important to remember one thing about Holy Communion that we have lost sight of because, you know, we've all of, I think it's safe to say all of us here have been born in the 20th century. Um, Frequent communion, you know, communion at daily mass, those things are relatively recent. Um, frequent, I don't remember the year exactly, but I think it was towards the end of St. Pius X's uh, term. I believe uh, we have, yep, he's right here behind me. Say, <laughs> um, St. Pius X, one of the last... Uh, well, the last preconciliar pope to be uh, canonized. You know, the preconciliar popes, they would be canonized once every two or three hundred years. It was a very rare thing. And uh, so uh, Pius X, what he did is he lowered the age of, of uh, First Holy Communion and to the age of reason, so, you know, seven-ish. And then um, he also allowed and encouraged 
frequent communion, you know, weekly communion, which was unheard of. But even, God bless you, but even daily communion became a possible thing. Whereas before, something like that would have been seen perhaps as dangerous because, and it is a real danger, and it is something that I know it's happened to me, I have to admit, even though I'm a priest, and maybe because I'm a priest, and I celebrate Mass more than once a day, uh, that it becomes routine, and you lose sight. It was kind of like that um, that, that uh, expression that is, that's applied to human interactions, you know, f- familiarity breeds contempt. And I think that familiarity with the Blessed Eucharist without the proper disposition can breed, maybe not, you know, contempt or disrespect, but a lack of appreciation. It becomes humdrum and routine. Very much like I imagine uh, married life can be. That when, uh, when two spouses do not have the right disposition towards what they have, they can take each other for granted um, and it, everything just kind of becomes humdrum and it's not, it doesn't have a, a, a fulfilling aspect to it. Now, of course, the solution to that lies in our hearts, and it is something that we always need to ask for, to ask for the gift of wonder, of, of newness, if you want to call it that, and, you know, when we get up in the morning and, and appreciate all the things in our secular life, but especially the Blessed Eucharist. So, Pius X, Saint Pius X, by the way, those of you who are Polskis uh, would be uh, proud to know that he, he, was, he was, in a way, our first Polish pope because his, uh, his father was a Polish immigrant to Italy. And uh, his last name, I think, was uh, Krawiec, uh, whatever the word for Taylor is in Polish. And so he translated into Italian to Sarto, like Sartorio, uh, Sarto, Giuseppe Sarto. So yeah, so... He was our first Polish Pope, and of course, he's a saint, <laughs> of course. <laughs> and by the way, I'm not Polish, so I'm not making any nationalistic uh, claims here. Um, but yeah, amazing, amazing Pope. Uh, his Secretary of State was um, a Spaniard, uh, Rafael Cardinal Mary del Val, and he uh, penned the uh, exquisite beautiful and kind of difficult to pray litany of humility. Um, So really it was, Pius X was an amazing Pope and he died in 1912, I believe, two years before the outbreak of World War I. And he saw how everything, where everything was going and he warned the nations, the kingdoms, watch it, stop this don't do this. And of course, he was mocked. And the one who was mocked further still was his successor, Benedict the Fifteenth. And, you know, you don't need to be a history major to know that World War I was a nightmare. It doesn't come close to describing it. 
like a nightmare is a cakewalk compared to the absolute diabolical horror that World War I was. Gosh, I was reading about it recently, you know, the, they would have like the, 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 someone was describing the stench in the trenches, you know, the, the bodies being eaten by rats and like, how can you keep your mind? And, uh, ah, good heavens, and for what? For what? Hey, World War II, okay, yeah, it kind of makes sense why that war happened. But World War One, I? I mean, okay, so the Archduke was killed, and it set off a chain of events that really don't quite add up to a, I don't know, to a commensurate response. It really was satanic what happened, and so. The vicar of Christ on earth, Pius X, is the one who was chosen by God to warn the world about this. So he is the one who lowered the age of the First Holy Communion based largely on the story. I don't know if you're familiar with the story of little, little Nell Organ, little Irish girl. I believe she was disabled. And he was very impressed with her, in spite of her tender young age, of her great devotion to the Blessed Eucharist. And uh, there are books on her articles available on the internet, Little, Little Nell, and her last name is Organ, like, like the instrument. And um, so that's First Communion. Now, Frequent Communion is something also that he made, made a thing, as people say today. He made it real. Uh, he made it possible, and encouraged it. You know, people before that would receive communion once or twice a year. Um, they would go to mass every Sunday and every day of obligation, but communion was not a part of mass. And the problem is that, you know, we have to remember that communion and mass are two different things. You know, uh, we all know people, I'm sure, that in our own families that don't go to Mass anymore because they're living in an irregular marriage or whatever state of sin that they're locked into, and they can't receive communion. So they figure, well, if I can't receive communion, then why bother going to Mass? So they're just piling on the sins over the sins above the sins. And so, no. Mass and communion are two different things. And I'm sure also you've probably known people who uh, avoid going to Mass because they feel, and unfortunately, understandably so, that if they go to Mass and don't go to communion, that people are going to be looking at them like, huh, I wonder why he did not to go to you know, communion. That is an unfortunate side effect. However, everything good in this fallen world is going to have a negative side effect. You know, every light cast in this world is going to have a shadow um, because we're fallen and that's just the way it is. But, of course, the benefits far, far outweigh and surpass um, the, you know, the the deficits and the, the, the liabilities with frequent communion. 
All right, so that preface was actually longer than the text. <laughs> but hey, I got to fill up the hour, so. <laughs> so. Letter 73, London, 1678. Uh, it doesn't say to whom this letter is written, but I guess it ultimately doesn't really matter. You still doubt as to whether you ought to go to Holy Communion. Do you not see that these troubles which precede your communions come from the evil spirit who abhors them, and that the moments of peace that follow them come from the spirit of God who loves them? I am surprised that you can hesitate about it. It is as clear as daylight. Without this help, you would be lost. Far from dissuading you from going to communion, I would advise you to increase the number of times you go. So, mind you, this was written in 1678, so this was centuries before St. Pius X. And, you know, this is another thing that happens frequently. And it's probably happened to you. When we're getting, and this is something that actually I was warned about in the seminary because it happens to priests when they're, when they're about to consecrate or they're in the, the process of consecrating the Eucharist. You know, Satan doesn't just go running away and be like, oh no, it's the Eucharist, I must, I must flee. No, he is going to stick around, you know, like, like a cockroach that you can't get rid of. And where you see one, there's you know, dozens hidden, same thing with the demons. And he is going to assault you when you're getting up, when you're looking at the person who's not getting up and thinking, hmm, I wonder why he did not to go to communion. Seriously. Or you might be waiting in line, and all of a sudden, out of the blue, these intrusive thoughts will come into your head. You know, thoughts, you know, could be about anything, about lust, about resentment, about criticizing somebody, or about doubt about the real presence in the Eucharist. It could be a number of sinful things, and it is right when you are getting ready to receive Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. And a lot of people get really upset by this, and Satan knows this, and that's why he keeps doing it. And to the point where they'll stop receiving communion because they feel guilty. They're like, what's wrong with me? Why am I having these thoughts? Why am I being so disrespectful towards the Lord? 